0: Where else would you want to be right you, you start to think through yes we have choppiness this year but are any of those factors that really led to the strength of texas and san antonio over the past five or ten years have they dissipated Are companies still moving to texas yes our households still moving here yes so i think what we're going to end up seeing maybe not this year but as we get through 24 into 2025 i think we end up with supply not keeping pace with demand and we get not to the hyper uh, inflation that we saw the last couple of years but a very, very strong new home market as we move beyond 2024.
1: Location, location, location is what they say in the real estate industry. And we're going to be talking today about the fastest growing areas in San Antonio and Bexar County. But we're also going to be discussing the current state of the residential real estate market. New home construction is down, existing inventory is down, but interest rates remain elevated. So what's a home buyer to do? Joining us today are two people who are intimately familiar with the residential real estate market. Brian Glasshagel, a senior vice president with Zonda Metro Study, and Paul Bazaldua, CEO of Versaterra Development. Paul and Brian, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks, Eddie. Thank you for having us.
1: Paul, let me start with you. You've been in the industry for a while, but tell us when you started Versaterra and what type of work your development company does.
2: So I started Versaterra in 2019, um, December of 2019, just in time for COVID. Uh, but in a weird way, it wasn't terrible for me because we were in buyers, buyer mode at the time. Before that, I worked for another land development company called Mosaic Land Development. Blake Yanis and I uh, and his father were partners. And before that, I worked with those same that same family at Yantis Company as a VP of operations. So my sort of background in the industry started from the construction side and then flipped over to the development side in about 2012.
1: Brian, let me go to you. Tell me a little bit about Zonda Metro Study. I'm familiar with them. When I worked for a bank, we used to get regular updates on the housing industry, where the foundations were being poured, which houses were in frame stage and sort of where the growth in economic activity is. But tell us a little bit about Zonda.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. So with Zonda, we, we've been in Texas under the Metro Study brand since the 1970s. So really, Zonda came together a formation of two companies into 2018. It was Myers Research, which was a company on the West Coast, and then uh, Metro Study, which was here, but also nationally, uh, combined in December of 2018. We're now the largest provider nationally of new home data. And Eddie, as you stated, you know, what we're doing in uh, our core markets, and there's probably 60 around the country, including the four major markets here in Texas, we're tracking every single new home community from the time a site plan or plat is filed with the city all, all the way through the last closing in that community. So uh, you know, for us, uh, kind of two pillars. Uh, you know, One of it is that data side, right, where we're uh, going out there and collecting that data, aggregating it, selling it to banks, builders, developers, municipalities, you know, retailers at this point. A lot of people can use that data, but we also have an engagement side as well. So nationally, we go around and we do conferences that really connect uh, you know, leaders in the industry together in terms of master plan communities, build to rent, multifamily development, uh, publication wing as well, builder magazine, some others that came along with it. And now we're really connecting builders to buyers as well through our livable listing product. Um, my part of the company, I work on the advisory side, which sits under data. And we kind of take that data and answer the, so what with it. We work directly with builders, developers, capital partners, site specific work, helping them figure out the art of the possible with what they can do with the development and strategic planning, as well as they start to look at new markets or new product types, helping them figure out the competitive landscape and where they might fit into that.
1: I imagine that anyone who needs rooftops, a convenience store, a gas station, would be interested in where the growth is, so to know where all the rooftops are going in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you start to think through that, our, our growth and you know, in terms of there's a set number of builders or developers out there that we can target for growth. But as we start to look at it, it is those retailers, school districts as well, water districts. You take anybody that's really starting to forward plan with where they want to either have locations or making sure they've got the infrastructure in place. That rooftop data nobody else out there has it, where you can really track that future supply of lots that are coming down the pipeline and wh- where's, where's that growth going to be in markets uh, around the country.
1: So tell us, you put together this very detailed data. Tell us what you are seeing regarding overall trends in the San Antonio uh, residential real estate market. What's happening in new construction starts, year over year trends? What do you, What are you actually seeing in San Antonio?
0: It's been a crazy few years, right? I think if we go back to uh, COVID, and that's where really things started to get out of whack a little bit, right? We saw the San Antonio market went, you know, pre-COVID years from doing about thirteen thousand new home starts to almost twenty-three thousand as we got to twenty-one and you know, twenty-two, and then it started to come back down. We we're going through COVID. We we really saw a ramp up in start activity. It's taking a lot longer to close those homes because of supply chain issues and labor shortages. And then we got into 2023 where it really started to shift again, right? We went from this overheated, you know, side of the market w- with, uh, you know, a demand side of it to interest rates started to go up, right? And builders had all these homes under construction. They started to to worry a little bit. Do we have the buyers in place? right? Rates are higher. Affordability is starting to pull back. So builders, you know, as we went through 2023, really put the brakes on those new home starts, and it, it pulled back pretty substantially. We went through last year. If we looked at You know, 2023 versus 2022. New home starts were down 23%. But what we really saw in the first half of last year were builders starting to react. They were looking at, you know, okay, demand is coming back down. We know prices are higher. We know the biggest concern at this point is affordability. And a lot of that was around housing payment. So they started to adjust pricing or they started to bring incentives to the market that bought down interest rates on mortgages. So they were starting to offset some of those affordability concerns and you know, even though we ended the year start-wise down 22% in, in 2023, that improved pretty substantially the last couple of quarters. If we're at mid-year, starts were actually looking like they're going to be down north of, of 40%. And I think, Eddie, as, as we look at this, part of it is, you know, the strength that we saw come through was really uh, the offset to the lock-in effect that we're seeing on the existing home side of the market, right? When I mentioned, you know, rates have gone up so much and, you know, buyers who are, are in their homes today... Vast majority of those that bought prior to, you know, the last year and a half have interest rates 3%, 4%. So they're kind of locked into their their homes at this point. So buyers out there in the market today, the only people that can offset that interest rate increase are the builders, right? They're buying it down. It's costly, but they're they're buying it down. Uh, you know, to rates that really kind of take it back to affordability levels that might have been 18 months ago, or if you go back to early 2022. And what we saw there was, you know, the new home side of the market typically captured... 20, 21% of total housing transactions in the market. What we saw in 2023 is that jumped up to 35% of the market. So outsized you know, share for this this past year. I think for this year, we're probably going to see something similar as rates start to come back down. I think that unlocks the existing side of the market. We see some of that normalcy probably start to come back maybe later this year, but more likely 2025
1: Paul, Brian just mentioned that uh, builders and developers are reacting to certain economic indicators and trends. What are the things that you look for that give you that uh, traffic light sort of um, signal of green? What indicators are you looking for to go forward? Yellow, caution. What tells you to sort of slow down or wait to see what's going to happen? And what are the economic indicators that say, you know, this is not a good time to move forward on new projects?
2: Well, as of late, interest rates, Brian mentioned it, interest rates are high. Uh, As of today, February 19th, I think the 30-year mortgage is right around 7.5, 7.6. So if you look at that against a house that costs $275,000 on average in San Antonio, you're talking about a $500 difference in payment, from that to what Brian was talking about at three percent, when we were at three uh, percent mortgages, there's a cost of living that is now, as Brian mentioned, attributed to the rate, not necessarily the cost of the home. So, but to answer your question, there's a lot of yellow lights in our industry. There's a few times where you have red lights, and then there's a few times that you have green lights. But there's a lot of yellow lights. So, things that in- impact us are interest rates is the the big one right now. But long term, the availability of labor, you know, we're going to have a labor shortage across the the entire country. Uh, We're already feeling that labor shortage here. I mean, for example, on the site work side of the business, somebody that managed a loader and literally picked up buckets of dirt and moved them across the site, which is a pretty low uh, skilled, you know, part of the trade. Ten years ago, they were making $10 an hour. They're making $25 an hour now. And so the cost of labor has gone through the roof because there's a, a shortage of it. Uh, and we're fighting every day to find new labor resources. But that long term is is something that's going to have an impact. You have, you know, things like Canadian lumber, you know, when the market gets really cooking uh, again in the future, which I think will happen when we get anywhere below 6% uh, interest rates, five and a half to six would be where I think it'll settle. But then you're going to have Canadian lumber that's going to become a problem. Brian can probably probably knows a little bit more about this issue than I do. But I, I want to say Canadian lumber makes up about 35% of the total, total lumber market. There's a tariff on it because it's cheaper for them to build uh, or to supply lumber uh, in Canada because it sits on public property, right? And the royalties are, are cheaper than it is to, to pay those royalties here in the U S where you're paying a private landowner royalties. Mm-hmm. So that, that tariff sort of helps the U S marketplace on the lumber side, but sort of hurts the end user because it costs a little bit more to have that uh, that, that price of build-out. And then you just look at the overall national economic outlook. When you see trends going in the wrong direction, people get nervous, people want to stop buying homes. So, like I said, a lot of yellows. You know, There's a few times where we have strong greens, and there's a few times where we have strong reds.
1: Brian, tell me about how San Antonio compares to the rest of the state. First of all, as you look at the national economic picture, tell me about Texas, because it looks like Texas is leading the country in the new home start space.
0: Absolutely. So I think as we look at Texas, you know, one of the things we always tell our clients is, you know, particularly as we look at, you know, those, those tailwinds for the state, you know, yes, we're going through some, you know, choppiness now, but I mean, those tailwinds between demand for migration or you know employment growth are so, so strong here, always near the top of uh, you know, trends across the country as we look through how Texas came out of COVID. All four of the markets in Texas in terms of employment growth gained all the jobs that they lost in COVID back quicker than it did nationally. And what we really see is we look nationally, if we look back to 2023 and look at, you know, Texas, you know, what it accounts for in terms of the overall market in the United States, it was, you know, close to 16% of the new, uh, you know, single family permits issued nationwide were in the Texas market. So it's a huge place. I mean, there's nowhere else you'd want to be. I think as we start drilling down into what we've seen you know, with within Texas more regionally, is we started to see, you know, through COVID and, and even through the early stages when rates were going up, all four markets in Texas were actually moving. And you know, when I say all four, it's DFW, Austin, Houston, and, and San Antonio were moving almost in lockstep in terms of the trends that we started to see. And it started to break apart a little bit in, uh, you know, 2023. And what we really started to see was Houston and Dallas started to outperform a little bit. While well, if we started 2023, you know, all the markets we thought were going to be down, you'd call it 20 to 30% in terms of new home starts, they all trended that way towards the middle of the year. DFW and Houston really started to pick up. They ended up down, uh, you know, start-wise, just down 5% or less in, in 2023. So pretty, pretty big difference. We look at Austin and San Antonio, San Antonio down 22%, Austin was down 28%. I think- Part of that, again, gets back to the the increase in the heat that we saw going into uh, where the markets were pre-COVID to where they went. You know, from 13,000 starts in San Antonio, 23,000 starts came back more significantly. So I think you know, with San Antonio being um, a more affordable market, those rate increases really impacted demand a little bit more. You know, Paul, Paul hit on, on, on it perfectly. It was not just the price increases, but it was the, uh, the the rate increases as well and what that did to a monthly housing payment in a market that's traditionally been more affordable with with lower incomes was was pretty substantial.
1: How much of the change in new start construction or year over year growth is organic growth versus inbound migration from states like California? I know for many years uh, Texas has been the number one destination state by U-Haul and California has been the the net I guess loser of uh, people who have left the state uh, to go uh, to Arizona, but especially Texas.
0: Yeah, I think it's an a important driver, right? And I think immigration is has been something that's really has uh, allowed the the Texas markets as we look nationally. And you look at you will know, we'll rank you know, the top you know, thirty or so markets around the country in terms of new home starts. Dallas and Houston always number one and number two. If we look back to twenty three. San Antonio and Austin were, were number seven and number eight. You combine them, and we start to look at Central Texas like you would a Dallas and Fort Worth, maybe. That gets Central Texas up to a number four. So that migration played a big role. If we went back to kind of the, the peak years, you know, 21 and 22, our conversations with builders and developers, particularly in you know, master plan communities, anywhere from probably 25 30% of the buyers they were getting were coming from out of state. And, and we're still seeing those trends. You know, I think the most recent data we have, you know, from the Census Bureau was was 2022. And if you look at that, almost 670,000 people moved to Texas in, in 2022 by a net gain of 175,000 once you you know, net out those that left. But when you focus on who was coming here, 50% of those 670,000 were either from the state of California, no surprise, or international. And then international varies a little bit from market to market. It could be Latin America, a lot in Southeast Asia now as well. So I mean, that's going to be a huge tailwind as we move forward and get out the other side. And one of the reasons I think that we'll start to see those conversations around supply constraints come back in, and that's that's going to be a long-term trend for the Texas markets.
1: Paul, I've often heard you talk about all the growth and activity on the north side um, for many years, and now that's beginning to change. Uh, engineering companies, uh, builders, developers, you're seeing growth on the residential side and the commercial side in other sectors of the city. And that's also like where you are. Tell me about the current project that you're working on and what observations you have about the shift from the north side to the growth and economic activity on the south side.
2: Well, south side is, uh, it is growing like we've never seen in my lifetime, at least. I mean, historically, uh, the south side is made up less than 5%, maybe even less than 4% of new housing starts. Well, if you combine um, the Southeast and the Southwest side right now in San Antonio, it makes almost 20% of the marketplace up. And that's with things that are sort of constraining residential development, like certain development buffers around the South side. It's also being constrained right now by uh, uh, utility resources, infrastructure resources, SAWS is actually going through uh, the PUC channels to extend sewer service to the southeast, which is going to open up a huge portion of, the, of between 410 uh, in San Antonio, southeast side, all the way to 1604. And so when that happens and when that infrastructure starts coming in, I think you're going to continue to see that area blossom and grow. Uh, obviously, the west side, the far west side is still a major player and you have New Braunfels that's still a major player in our MSA the south side is is definitely um, taking off. So my project right now that I'm working on um, is Lone Oak. Uh, it's a thousand lot development at 1604 and 37 South. And we're building a, a lift station on site uh, in conjunction with Saws that houses about 5,000 EDUs. So enough for roughly 4,800 to 5,000 homes. Uh, but so our site is is only a thousand of that capacity. So there's going to be some economic growth and activity in that that area right there. And it's sort of the last stop before you leave San Antonio. But I think what you're also seeing is with traffic getting to be a nuisance for people, you're seeing families that grew up on the South side, went off to college, wanted to come back and live on the South side and didn't have real housing stock to do, do that. You're seeing them start to move back because from the intersection at 37 and 1604, I mean, it takes 11 minutes to get to downtown. It takes six minutes to get to Brooks, which is a major you know, um, hub of activity. And so... I think you're going to continue to see that trend with all those things being considered.
1: And I'm I'm assuming some of that growth in economic activity on the south side is also, and the west side, but specifically on the south side is not just on the lower end of the home price scale, but it's also uh, medium range to high range. To your point that people maybe couldn't have found the housing that they needed because maybe the kids had become successful, they wanted to move back closer to their aging parents and their extended family, but they didn't have the price range of house that they were looking for.
2: Absolutely. You take places like Vita on the south side next to A&M, the the south side campus, Perry Homes is in there building $400,000 homes. You take Mission Del Lago, a project that I had uh, some lots that I developed and sold to KB Homes, and they're selling for $315,000 homes. You You would never have seen those prices 10 years ago in those areas of town. And so it's been nice to see some of these builders take a little bit of risk and invest uh, in some nicer homes or in more expensive homes on the south side, so that you can create these mixed economies in the area. And you know, the, what we're underwriting our project at, uh, on the south side, Lone Oak, at is you're going to be selling houses for somewhere between you know two hundred seventy-five thousand on the starting side to three hundred and twenty-five on the on the finished side. But by today's numbers, by the time the project is finished out, that number could obviously climb.
1: Brian, one of the services that uh, Zonda Metro Study provides is, um, for lack of a better phrase, I'm going to use a heat map, which sort of shows like where the real heavy areas of activity are. And I'm looking at the map that uh, the most recent map for the San Antonio regional area. And I see the area east of New Braunfels and then going south from there in the Seguin area, a lot of activity. Of course, we've seen a lot of uh, plants, uh, the whole caterpillar. Um, we've seen Navistar and other plants that have moved into the Seguin area. So, tell me about where these other hotspots that we've we've t- touched on lately.
0: Yeah, I mean, Paul really nailed it. I mean, and that, and that honestly, you know, Eddie, that that map that we pull together is probably the most requested slide from our presentations that we get to share, uh, you know, with our clients and and non clients as well. But. You know, Paul nailed it. I mean, if you look historically in the market, and it still is the most in, it, you know, uh, concentrated part of the market. It's that West Side outside of 1604. And historically, that's captured the most. It still captures almost 26% of starts in the market. It's that combination of good schools, a lot of services, and then high quality communities out there where you have master plans, some standalone product, but a good mix of, of product opportunities. But as we look at it, you, you nailed it too. You're starting to look at that South si- or the, the East Side of the market. You know, out towards Seguin and uh, the south side of New Braunfels, south side of 35, uh, just a, attainably priced product. A lot of that's more standalone communities out that way, but you know, driven a lot by affordability on that side. And then going out, if you look along the south side of the market, for sure. I mean, that went from almost untouched a few years ago, and, and Paul nailed the number, it's about 20% of starts as of now. And, and Paul and, and developers like Southstar are, are doing new things out there that I think as we start to get, more rooftops out there, you know, still the missing piece, I think, on the south side is services. And a lot of that had to do with not a lot of rooftops yet. But as those rooftops, whether it's Perry at $400,000 price points in Vita or, or others, you'll start to get the services to go along with it. The other part I'll point out is looking along the southwest side of the market, too. So as you start to go out, areas along Highway 90, and it's not just Bear County at that point, but getting out to Castroville and, and Hondo and getting out along that side of the market, We've seen success out there. There's been you know options like Lenar's silos out there that have done very, very well. And we're actually starting to see more of the work that we do with whether they're mud districts, the, the improvement districts or whatnot, starting to look in locations like that as well.
1: And when you say services weren't available until the rooftops uh, came in, what kind of services are you referring to?
0: Retail services. So I think as you start to think through retail, medical, those are still items that I think um, as, as you look at that side of the market... That you've still got to drive back into closer areas of town. So, and, and you know, we hear anecdotally that you know some of the locations down there for some of the bigger retailers, where there are locations down there, are some of their best performing in the market. Just because it's, you know, I w- wouldn't call it a retail desert, but you know it's transitioning away from that. But still, a lot to be had. I think as, as we move forward, a lot of opportunity to be had as we move forward.
1: So Paul in addition to the first project you mentioned you're you're about to start on another project that's also down south. Uh, what can you tell us about that?
2: Well I can tell you it's going to probably keep me busy for the next 15 years. Um, it's about 2,000 acres all, all contiguous um, off of 410 and Sulphur Springs and so we've got a, a group that we've hired to to do our master planning. We've got roughly 5,000 to 6,000 lots on the property, and then we'll have another set aside of 800 acres of mixed-use, commercial, or non-single-family use. But something that Brian touched on with the retail services, I wanted to also mention, you know, Brooks is catty-corner to the property that I'm talking about right now. And and Leo Gomez, who's the president and CEO of Brooks Development Authority, uh, has a great data point. He says, for the past 10 years, there's been a billion dollars worth of investment into Brooks. And within that 10 years, the poverty rate in the census tract has gone from 27 to 17%. And so we should applaud the developers that came and built all the retail down there because they saw something that nobody else did, which there is an, a captive audience down here waiting to spend their money on retail. You know, so you, you talk about Brooks and all the sort of momentum they have, the property that, that I'm going to develop off of Sulphur Springs over the next, you know, 10 to 15 years. And then you talk about the Arboretum coming in right across the highway at the old Republic Golf Course. The, this little area has a ton of activity coming to it. And then you take into account, like I said, the, the property that I'm working on is actually the property where Sol service ends right now for sewer. And once that extension of service from the PUC gets approved, then you're going to see that whole area sort of open up. So I think that Southeast Corridor is going to be really, really busy for a really long time.
1: Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Lano Realty Partners. They are a San Antonio-based commercial real estate brokerage offering a wide range of services and they combine the intimate local expertise of a boutique brokerage with the advanced capabilities of a modern national brokerage to provide clients with a superior level of service. With a team of experienced professionals, Lano Realty Partners is dedicated to delivering results and exceeding the expectations of its clients. For more information, go to lanorealty.com. That's L-L-A-N-O realty.com. Paul, so when it comes to homes, you know, Brian touched on it a little bit about the buy-downs. What are the the tools that they have that existing home builders do not have. So uh, one would be the the buying down of interest rates. And you might sort of walk through how that works.
2: Well, you can buy down uh, the, on the interest rate side. You can also help with closing costs. So a couple of the bills that I've talked to uh, have mentioned, you know, costs us about twenty five dollars to $30,000 on the front end of the home in order to get people down to a, a reasonable payment. But th- that's really, those are the main tools that they have. It's buying down that payment. So what I'm very interested to see is long-term, because we talk about housing affordability, and we usually talk about it in terms of a gross sales price, right? Well, if the builders have started to sort of absorb some of the price impact of the interest rates up front, long-term, what is that going to start look like on the home sales, the value side, Right. So in other words, if we start to see a trend upward uh, in in overall price of home, does that mean that it's less affordable? Not, not necessarily, because if they're still got a lower rate, it's, it's still a more affordable living product. So I'm very interested to see how that conversation sort of unfolds at all levels of government, because everybody's talking about housing crisis and housing affordability. But to answer your question, I mean, that, those are the two main ways that you can incentivize folks to get into houses.
1: And Brian, you know, do prices tend to go down when interest rates go up as a way to attract buyers when the transactions begin to slow? And then does the reverse happen when interest rates go down uh, because of demand? Do prices tend to go
0: up it, it, to a degree? I mean, they don't always move in lockstep, step. But, you know, I think as we look back at the last uh, few you know, 2022 and 2023, as, as rates started to climb, it was. The price increases and those rate increases were really a double whammy for for housing affordability in, in san antonio um when we went back to you know the peak in 2022 prices were going up almost 20 percent year over year and it's come back down significantly now at this point but the bigger part of that was rates going from four to four percent up to north of seven percent getting close to eight percent that's the game changer because that makes more of a difference in, in monthly housing payment than a 20 percent increase in, in in home prices what we saw when we look at, you know, kind of prior to the rate increases starting and where they got up to when rates were at their peak, that monthly you know, principal and interest payment on on a house in San Antonio went up 80%. And that was a huge, huge increase for a market that's relatively blue collar. Income levels aren't as high as you'd see in Dallas or, or in Austin. So it made a, a much bigger difference. And what we ended up seeing is Early in 2023, those, those builders realized that, and, and Paul hit it on the head with, with his points. I mean, builders knew they had to offset that, right, to get those sales paces up. And in a market like San Antonio, a lot of the builders, whether it's a Lennar or a Horton, are high-volume builders. So they want to hit those sales goals. So they were pretty aggressive on rate buy-downs and, uh, you know, your price movement as well. You're talking to those builders. I mean, they might have been contributing to closing costs and those rate buy-downs, anywhere from 6 to 10% of the home price to buy that down. So over time, the the challenge uh, for those builders is a lot of the wider or fatter margins they had with prices going up are going to get pulled back in. Their builder margins are going to come back in, particularly on new deals that come to market because we start to see the one part that's been most, most sticky in the market has been land prices. And even though home prices have come back down, land prices haven't. So as these new communities come to market, it's going to be a higher land basis that are going to be operating off as well.
1: Paul, tell me, what you and your fellow developers are seeing right now beyond the heat map that we talked about and the and the hotspots, what other kind of factors, you know, access to parks, um, community centers, walkability, what else are, are developers, home builders looking for?
2: Well, one of the big factors that we're going to uh, be looking for uh, when we decide on on how to develop is open space. You know, do we have... What kind of natural uh, creeks do we have running through a property? How do we take advantage of them so that we can line ourselves, hopefully, to the San Antonio Linear Parks Program, which is a great program that was widely supported and widely used by our community. In terms of other things that developers are looking for right now, it's, it's prices of properties, whether it's land or properties with improvements on them, just skyrocketed over the past 10 years. Uh, with interest rates being what they are and with the economic uh, sort of slowdown sort of happening, the question is, is will those property values reset and become more appropriate at the new uh, levels of, of cost of capital? Uh, so we're kind of keeping an eye out to see what happens there. And then um, long term, or I guess for the next few years, I, I kind of feel like 2024 is a redevelopment year. And so at least Versaterra is, is spending this year kind of planning And starting to develop and construct so that hopefully we have lots on the ground in 2025. And by then, if interest rates have come down, hopefully we can hit the ground running and then we're supplying the demand that's going to get cooked up once those interest rates start to ticker down.
1: You know, and Paul, since we've talked about the different levels of housing prices, one of the conversations that comes up quite often in this city is affordable housing. And you have a particular approach to that, and, and I'd love to to share that opinion with, with others. Tell us about uh, the demands that, that we usually get from uh, government elected officials and then what you believe is the better approach to take on affordable housing.
2: Well, being a, a, a Woodlawn Lake kid, you know, towards the west side of San Antonio, I, I believe in mixed incomes. Uh, and so you're seeing a push for affordability. But luckily, you know, folks like Mark Carmona at the city who runs our, our affordable housing uh, group, you know he, he understands that it's not affordable housing anymore that's the conversation piece, it's housing affordability. And so housing affordability means housing affordability at all levels. That's at the lower level, affordable housing, the market rate housing, and even the high-end housing. We have a supply crisis across the country, we have a supply crisis across the city, and we've gotta figure out how to uh, you know, adapt to those challenges. The devil's in the details in a lot of these um, projects, whether it's tax credit projects or city incentives or county incentives, uh, they're usually some kind of requirement for affordable housing in it. And that's great. However, uh, the devil's in the details in a lot of these contracts between the private industry and the governments say something to the effect of 25 percent of these houses will be sold at. Let's just call it 80 percent of AMI and 80 percent of AMI today is. $225,000 $225,000 just for round numbers. Right. Well, what that sort of forces to happen when your agreement says that is you've got to developers can't take the risk because the construction inflation has tended to outpace general inflation. And so you end up putting the affordable stuff on the ground first, especially if it's a project that's going to take five years or longer to build out. And so the, the natural marketplace says, well, once you put affordable at the front of your project, the rest of your project's probably going to need to stay affordable. Whereas if there's a way to, to sort of change the way we look at that and you're allowed, you still have the goal of building 25% or 30% or whatever to be somewhat affordable, and you can build the, the sort of market rate stuff closer to your entrance, well, then now that's just like the regular marketplace. You're going to have the market rate stuff go on the ground first, and then the affordability demand will start to trickle in as you go and develop that's the way that you can truly create, you know, uh, what a lot of these folks that push for make a hard push for affordable housing are looking for is, you know, opportunity. And so when you integrate these, these income levels and they're going to the same schools and their neighbors and they're playing with each other, you have an opportunity for people of of fewer means t- to hang out with people with more means. And they both learn from each other.
1: Well, it's a, it's a very interesting approach uh, to take. And, and I like it, and I, I hope that uh, our governmental elected uh, leaders decide to keep moving in that direction. Brian, another interesting stat that you had was on where the bulk of new housing starts falls.
0: So it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, with, with my role, I get to see everything that we're doing in Texas. So it's, it's interesting to see San Antonio versus the other markets. And you know, we look at it from the outside looking in, San Antonio still looks like a highly affordable market because, you know, in markets like Austin and DFW, we're always talking about how much of the activity is now above 500000 And we're, we're not seeing that in San Antonio. Flip side is, though, if you look from the outside or the inside out in San Antonio, prices have gone up. It's become much less affordable. But as we look at that, we look at 2023, still nearly 28% of the new home starts in the market had price points below 250000 So still, you know, relatively entry level price points. You go up just a, a little bit from that—that two hundred and fifty thousand to three hundred and fifty thousand dollars price range. That's almost another thirty-two percent of starts. So you're looking close to sixty percent of the market still priced below, uh, you know, it's at three hundred and fifty thousand. And the good news is, as as we look at it um, and looked at those projects that were being that that opened up in twenty twenty three. There were still a, a fair number of projects that had price points below 250000 and it was in a variety of locations. Builders like Lennar, DR Horton, Roush Coleman, KB Home were still able to deliver new homes at price points below 250000 Product looks different in different locations. It might be a smaller footprint home. It might be a smaller lot size. But those opportunities still do exist, and I think that would be some of the shifts that we see going forward if this truly is a, a longer-term affordability issue as, as builders will be challenged to how do we adapt our product or our development model to to offset what we've seen price wise? But you know, even with that, you know, there's still 40 percent of the market above 350 thousand. So as you look at areas like New Braunfels or up to Bulverde or up to Bernie, there are still opportunities where higher income households are migrating in or higher income households are here. So it's a pretty diverse mix of product throughout the market.
1: Brian, tell me in what you're seeing across the state and specifically in San Antonio. Give me your outlook. Uh, for the next 12 to 24 months. Is San Antonio moving in the right direction? Uh, what are the headwinds that uh, still continue to, uh, to hit us? And what are the tailwinds, if any, uh, that are giving us a slight edge or a slight push?
0: Yeah, I think as we go through this year, I mean, it's going to be interest rates, interest rates, interest rates. That's going to be the the driving factor, whether that's buyers, homebuyers and, and their mortgage rates or builders and their developers with the cost of capital. So I think that's going to be top of mind throughout this this year. I think you know, the challenge that you know, kind of that presents a little bit is some of the inclinations now with the Fed indicating that they're going to start lowering rates, right? We don't we know the light at the end of the tunnel is there, we just don't know how long that tunnel is. So if buyers are starting to get the mindset that rates are going to start to go down, I think what we might see is more of that wait and see approach, right? Do we want to wait for that home purchase three months from now or six months from now, with the notion that we're gonna it's going to be more affordable? So I think that's a a little bit of a headwind for the market, uh, you know, in terms of of uh, buying activity. But you know, in December of last year, we surveyed about 150 division presidents of builders around the country, including about 50 here in Texas, and we always ask them, you know, kind of what, what's their outlook for the year? What's their outlook for 2024? and we asked them uh, about their start forecast, and it aligns with really what we're seeing. So we asked those builders in Texas, about 75% indicated that they think their starts are gonna be up. The consensus was starts were gonna be up 10% plus this year. And I think that makes a lot of sense. We're already starting to see that that form through, as I mentioned earlier, with start activity is bottomed out in San Antonio. We've now gone up two quarters in a row. I think we continue to see that, right? As rates either stay where they are or start to come back down, that buying demand is gonna be there. On the price side of it, what I love most about this, we asked that same question to those division presidents. What do they think is going to happen with home prices this year? About 65% in Texas said they thought home prices would rise this year. But what I love most about it, where they thought they would rise, one to 5%. So we get right back into the kind of that sweet spot that we've been historically, where it kind of keeps pace with inflation, but it's not the hyperinflation that we saw before. Um, yeah, those, those headwinds that we you know, have in the market for buyers, you know, as, as they look at, you know, these challenges with with housing being less affordable, what are they doing to offset those? And we, we talked to our builder, you know, clients in the market, they say, you know, some buyers are stretching their budget. But the other two that we talked on today, where they're starting to look at new locations, maybe it is the south side of the market, maybe it's the southwest side of the market, and they're looking at smaller homes. And in San Antonio, a lot of the market is on smaller lot sizes already. But we're starting to see that even shrink where it might not be a a 40-foot wide lot, but now we're getting down to a 30-foot wide lot where it's smaller lot, smaller land cost, smaller home that goes on that lot. Eventually, all those lead to a lower home price. But those tailwinds that that I always tell, I always close out almost every one of my presentations with this, is where else would you want to be, right? You, You start to think through, yes, we have choppiness this year. But are any of those factors that really led to the strength of Texas and San Antonio over the past five or 10 years, have they dissipated? Are companies still moving to Texas? Yes. Are households still moving here? Yes. So I think what we're going to end up seeing, maybe not this year, but as we get through 24 into 2025, I think we end up with supply not keeping pace with demand. And we get not to the hyper uh, inflation that we saw the last couple of years, but a very, very strong new home market as we move beyond 2024.
1: Paul, as a local developer here, what is your economic outlook? What do you see uh, happening here over the next 12 to
2: 24 months? I think you're going to see a lot of people start to develop lots this year with the hopes of selling them next year. Uh, Brian said it very well. Next year, I think we're going to have, uh, you know, sort of an opportunity from the developer side, at least maybe a challenge from the builder side where uh, the demand is going to be greater than what we have supply for. And so... From the developer side, I'll say a lot of us are, are focused on putting lots on the ground in 2024, getting ready to sell in 2025.
1: Brian, any closing thoughts? Any other uh, predictions or things that you're you've noticed uh, happening here or around the across the state?
0: I think what w- what's most encouraging, I-, I think, as we look to other markets like Houston and DFW, they're starting to normalize, right? As these ups and downs, these big swings that we saw over the past couple of years. Are starting to get met back in line with what we historically would call normal market conditions, seasonality coming back into play at the end of the year, and then you know, strong spring selling season starts and closings being relatively close together in a market price appreciation coming back down to reasonable levels. I think that, um, whether you're a builder, developer, or home buyer, just getting back to something that's more normalized, I think, will we'll feel good for everybody. And that, that's my hope as we get through this year that we start to see that in San Antonio, Austin as well. They're a couple quarters behind what we're seeing in the others, uh. Uh, metros in Texas, but you know, I think it's it's closely following what we saw in those markets.
1: Our thanks to San Antonio developer Paul Basaldua, CEO of Versaterra Development, and Brian Glasshagel, Senior Vice President for Zonda Metro Study. Beyond the Bite is a production of Aldrete Strategic Partners, is edited by Nick Chamberlain of Every Word Media and is recorded in the podcast studio at Lano Realty Partners in San Antonio. If you enjoy this podcast, please like, subscribe and share with friends and colleagues. As always, we thank you for listening.